Second Samuel chapter nine. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God's amazing grace. What is grace? Grace is in essence God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And we're going to talk this morning about the kindness of God. What is the kindness of God? The kindness of God is really nothing short but the grace of God. It's the grace of God. The kindness of God is the grace. The grace of God. His grace is what got the gentleman who lost his family through what he was going through. It was the grace of God that allowed him to write a song that it is well with my soul. Because it is only the grace of God that could get a man through something like that. And I know all of us here this morning have had some things that's happened in our life some hard times maybe we went through, the loss of a loved one maybe even, just as that gentleman did that wrote that song. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And other people prayed and prayed and prayed for you and your family. And it was nothing short but the grace of God that helped us and encouraged us and strengthened us to get through that time that we were going through. Well, we really needed Him We really needed His loving arm and we really needed Him in our life. But let me ask you this this morning. There are lots of people outside this church, in this community, maybe even some that live right here, right beside this church, that are living a life and they really, really need the grace of God in their lives. Right here all around us. Right here all around us. They really need God's touch. They really need God's hand. And so I want to talk to us this morning about the grace of God. Just think for one moment, for one second, what it would be like not to have the grace of God. What would it be like not to have the grace of God? The Bible says that you are saved by grace through faith. You're saved by grace. Which means it's unmerited favor. Which means you didn't deserve to get saved. You didn't deserve to get saved. But God sent His Son because He loved you to die on a cross so that you could get saved. Wasn't nothing that you did to get saved. It was unmerited favor. Because God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Wasn't nothing that you did. Wasn't nothing your mom and dad did. And there ain't nothing that you can do. It's just the grace of God that would come to a man or a woman or a teenager or a boy or girl and knock on the door of their hearts and let them know that they need Christ as their personal Savior. That's the grace of God. Because He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. 
And so He comes to the heart of every person and encourages them and pleads with them to come to know Christ as their personal Savior. That's the grace of God. The grace of God. He didn't have to, but He did. And so we're going to talk this morning about the kindness of God, which is in essence really just the grace of God. Chapter 9, let's look at verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Let's just stop right there just for one moment. Years prior to this, years prior to where we're at right now, David and Saul's son, Jonathan, they had they were really good friends. Really good friends. The Bible says that man their hearts were knit together. Man, they were like best friends. They're like brothers. And they were really good friends. And Jonathan knew that one day David was going to be king. And so what he did was he told David, he said, Look, whenever you become king, I want you to do something for me. I want you to show kindness. I want you to show kindness to my descendants. I want you to show kindness to those who are going to come in my stead after me. Because one of these days I'm going to die. Whether it be by death or whether it be by battle. And one of these days I'm going to be gone and you're going to be king. And I want you to show them kindness. I want you to show them grace. Even though they may not necessarily deserve it. But David, would you do that just for me? Would you do that because, because you love me and because, man, our souls and our hearts are just knit together? Because we're such good friends. Will you show the kindness of God? Will you show the grace of God to my descendants? David says, well, sure I will. Well, then the day comes. Jonathan's killed in battle, but he has a family. And he leaves a family behind. But David, little of his knowledge at this time that we're reading right now, Little to his knowledge does he know that there is a son that Jonathan has, that his best friend has, who's been killed in battle. He doesn't know that Jonathan has a son that's still alive. He thinks they're gone. And so he says, will you show him kindness for my sake? Because you see, you have to understand something. At this time, when a new king was to take over with the old king, a lot of times what he would do is he would get rid of the whole family. If there's anybody left, any sons, all those sons would be killed. All the sons would be killed. That way he wouldn't have to worry about nobody trying to take his throne away from him. And Jonathan knew that and he understood that. And he says, David, one of these days you're going to be a king. And he says, whenever you're king, will you show my family grace? Will you show my family the will you show my family kindness? Even though they may not necessarily deserve it, will you show them grace? Because nobody else probably would. Nobody else would probably give them what they should have. Nobody else would show them the kindness. But will you do that, David? And so David says, Sure I will. And so here we are at this time. David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him? kindness for Jonathan's sake. In verse 2, And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called and when they had called him unto David, the king said to him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. 
And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. He says, Jonathan's got a son, which is lame on his feet. And David says, Is there any of the house of Saul? Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan's got a son. Can you imagine how he probably thought? How he probably... Jonathan? My best friend's got a son? And he says, yeah, but he's lame on his feet. Which means he, he, he can't walk. He's disabled. He's lame on his feet, but yeah, he does have a son. And I imagine he probably thought to himself, man, my best friend has a son that is still alive. And so he wanted to show Jonathan's son kindness. He wanted to show Jonathan's son the grace. The grace of God. You see, he didn't want to destroy Jonathan's son. He didn't want to destroy him. He didn't want to destroy his household. He didn't want to do none of those things. But he wanted to show him, he wanted to show him kindness. And you say, well, you say, preacher, where are you getting with all this? So I want to show you something. This is a picture. This is a picture of what God has done for us. Those of us who were at one time enemies of God. We were at one time not saved. Am I right? There was a time in your life when you wasn't saved. But then the grace of God came by one day and He knocked on the door of your heart and asked you to get saved and you got saved. But before that, before that, the Bible teaches us that we were at enmity with God. We were enemies of God. But now we're at peace with Him because we're saved. And so you see, David is like a picture of God who wants to show kindness, who wants to show kindness to the descendants of Jonathan for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan's like a picture of Christ. David's like a picture of God. And his son is like a picture of us. You see, he wanted to show us David. God wanted to show God wanted to show us grace because of his son. David wanted to show Jonathan's son grace because of Jonathan. You follow me? And so what a beautiful picture we have here. And I'm not finished yet. But what an awesome picture we have here of the grace of God, unmerited favor. Because Jonathan's son didn't deserve grace. What he deserved was to be killed like everybody, like all the other kings would have done to him. That's what he deserved. He was, a, he was a son of Saul. But David didn't want to do that. He said, I want to show his son grace. He said, I want to show his son kindness for Jonathan's sake. Because me, because me and Jonathan just loved each other so much. We were such good friends. I want to show him the kindness of God. I want to show him uh, the grace, the grace of God. Just like he wanted to show, uh, just like God wanted to show us his only begotten son. He wanted to show us his only begotten son who came to the world and, and died on a cross for, for us, for you and for me, when we were unworthy. The Bible says that he died the just for the unjust. And so God shed His grace on those of us who didn't even deserve it. He was kind to us who didn't deserve it. 
unmerited favor is what he showed on us, and that is what David wanted to show on Jonathan's son. He wanted to show him unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Nothing that he could have done. Just like there's nothing that we could have done that got saved. It's just the grace of God that, that spoke to our hearts to get saved. But David wasn't looking to destroy Jonathan. He wanted What he wanted them to know is he wanted to show him the kindness. He wanted to show him the kindness. See, the devil has came, the Bible says, the devil has came to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's not what Jesus came to do. He said, Jesus said, I have came to save life. He said, I've come to seek and to save. But the Bible says that the devil's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And David wasn't out to destroy nobody. Man, he didn't want to hurt, he didn't want to harm Jonathan's son. He just wanted to show him some grace. He wanted to show him some unmerited favor. And let me tell you something. If you don't understand this morning that the devil's out to destroy your life, you're sadly mistaken. If you don't think for one second that the devil's out to destroy your home, you are sadly mistaken. I have talked, I've talked to people and I've said, imagine this. If the devil had enough demons at his disposal, the Bible says that the, the, the Gadarian demon act was up there in the tombs, cutting himself, running around naked and all kinds of things. They bound him down with chains and fetters and it could, none of that stuff could hold him down. He was a wild man. He was out of his mind. He had lost control of himself. And the Bible says that when Jesus came to him, actually he come running down to Jesus, actually. And when Jesus was standing there, he said, What's thy name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. Now, Legion's around six or 7,000. And so, if the devil's got enough demons at his disposal to aggravate and suffer this man right here, if there's enough at his disposal, if he's got six or 7,000 demons at his disposal just to aggravate this one man, Right here, living up in this cave? What do you think He has for you on any given day? And if you think for one second, why do you think the Bible says put on the whole armor of God? <laughs> because He knows that there is no possible way that you're going to make it out here without it. You wouldn't go to fight without it. You wouldn't go to battle without it. But yet, We'll wake up in the morning and we'll go off to work and we'll go off to we'll come to church we'll whatever we'll do whatever and we'll walk out and we'll just leave our armor sitting at the house and won't think nothing else about it. And God knows, the Lord knows you can't make it without Him. And He says the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. As a roaring lion, as a roaring lion, he seeketh whom he may devour. And He knows that you can't do it on your own and that you got to have Him. So he says, he wanted to show the kindness. Is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? For Jonathan's sake. And so God has extended his kindness to us because of his son. And so David was in essence extending his kindness to the descendants of Jonathan. Verse 3 says, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And he said, Yeah, Jonathan has a son which is lame on his feet. And I can imagine whenever he heard that Jonathan had a son, I can imagine when he thought about his beloved friend and, and how he probably just felt inside, how he 
probably just looked forward to meeting this young man. But you see, his son is a picture of us, as I said. Because you see, the Bible tells us, the Bible teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit that comes to us and draws us to Him. Man's not looking for Him. Man isn't searching for God. But yet the Holy Spirit comes by and knocks on the door of a man's heart. That's the grace of God. And But you see, Saul's son, which is a representative of us, Jonathan's son, which is a representative of us, was lame on his feet. He had no possible way of coming to the king. He couldn't come on his own. There was nothing that he could do. He couldn't, he couldn't just get there by himself. And neither could we. We were lame on our feet. We were crippled by sin. Crippled in sin and lame on our feet with no way, with no way to get to the king. No way. And what we see here is Jesus. What we see here is Jesus searching. Searching for people to come to know. It's searching for people to show the grace of God to. Searching for people to manifest Himself in their lives. And so David was looking, is there anybody? Is there anybody? And they said, yeah, there is one. And I believe that's exactly what happens today. I believe the Lord Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit stands there and says, is there anybody in that church service that can get saved today? Is there anybody in that church service there that morning that can rededicate their lives? Yes, here's one. And yes, here's one. But there's no way you can do it on yourself. There's no way that you can come to God on yourself, but the grace of God will come by and knock on your heart and say, look, will you get saved today? Will you trust my son today? Will you just re- will you rededicate your life today and get out of that rut that you're in? Will you do that? And he's searching and searching and searching and asking and asking and pleading and pleading. And so he says, is there any? Of the house? Yeah, there is one. Jonathan. Wow. And so what does he do? He finds out. He finds out that he has a son. And so what does he do in verse 4? And the king said unto him, Where is he? Verse 4, he said, Where is he? Where is he? Man, I just got to know where this... I got to know where he's at. I got to know where he's at. Tell me where he is. Where is he at? And they tell him. Verse 4, he says, And the king said, And where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold! He is, on, he is in the, of the house of Mature, the son of Emil in Lodabar. He is in the house of Mature, the son of Emil in Lodabar. He's living in Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture, no pasture or barren. And so we see Mephibosheth who is lame on his feet and has no way of coming to God. No way of even knowing Him. No way of knowing David. No way at all. When he's lame on his feet, he can't come on on his own accord. There's nothing that he can do. But yet David's searching for him. And and he finds out where he's living at. And the Bible says he's living in Lodabar. And Lodabar means barrenness. Let me tell you something this morning. I think there's lots of people in this world, in this community, that are living in a land of barrenness. Living in a land of no pasture. 
And when you're not saved and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you don't know God, that's where your life is. You're living in a land of barrenness. You're living in a land of no pasture. When something's barren, what does that mean? What does it mean when something's barren? Man, it means there ain't no life there. It means there ain't nothing happening. There ain't nothing going on. Everything's dead. When you think about barrenness, man, you don't think about you don't think about walking into a lush garden. You don't, would you walk in somebody's garden and just spend a lot of time and you say, wow, this is barren? <laughs> no, you wouldn't say that. Because that's not what it means. You don't walk into... If your life is not barren, if your life is not barren, what's it going to be doing? It's going to be producing fruit. Man, you're going, it's going to look nice. It's going to look lush and all that. But he says, look, he don't know the king and he can't come to me and he's living in Lodabar. He's living in a life of barrenness. And if you don't know Christ, that's what your life is. It's going, it's going to be a life of barrenness. Barren. It's going to be unfruitful. If you've gotten out of the will of God, if you've gotten away from God, it's going to be barren. It's going to be barren. And you can walk out those doors today and go back to the same barren, unfruitful life if that's what you like. If that's what you like. Because I'm big on this and I'll say this a lot and you'll hear me say it a lot. It's your choice. It's your choice. You can decide to walk out of here and whenever you pull up in your driveway, whenever you get home, is there going to be a big old sign there that says, Welcome to Lodabar. Welcome to the house. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the land of barrenness. Is that what you're going to see whenever you go home today? When you pull up in your driveway, 304 Barron Avenue, is that, is, that what it's all, is that what your life is? If it is, it's that because it's your choice. And you have a choice today to make things different. You have a choice today to, for, things, for your life to be different. A choice every second of the day for things to be different in your life. And so you can walk out those church doors and you can go back to that same barren life and that's, that's your own prerogative. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be that way and you don't have to live in a land like that. And your home don't have to be like that. You don't have to be. But that's what barren is. And he says, well, where is he at? And they said, well, he's living in barrenness. And isn't that what, what where, where we were at? That's where we were living? Man, God looked down on man and he says, man, they can't do it on themselves. They're lame on their feet. They can't do it. There's nothing they can do. And their lives are being destroyed. They're living in sin. They're bound by that and bound by that and, and bound by that. There's nothing they can do. So what I'm going to have to do because I love them so much. Because I want to show them the grace of God. I want to show them some unmerited favor because I love them. I'm going to send them my son. He's going to go down there and he's going to die for them. And he's going to shed his blood for them. Even though they don't deserve it. And he's going to die the just for the unjust. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, He died for us. And He says, yeah, He's living in Lodabar. And so what does He do? He, don't, he didn't say, well, if he's, if he's living in Lodabar, man, he's, if He's living in the land of no pasture, if He's living in the land of no barrenness, man, he ain't no point messing with Him. Why? He's too far down there to get. I ain't no point going down there. Ain't you glad that ain't what God said about you? Ain't you glad that God didn't say, well, he's just gone too far, don't worry about him. 
Oh, he's just living a life that's barren. Ain't no point in trying to do anything with him. No. Ain't you glad that on that, on that day that you got saved, the Lord came by and said, Look, I know, the, I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your life. And I can help you. I can help you. Doesn't mean just because you get saved, everything's going to be hunky-dory and you're going to walk around. You know, that, you're still going to have problems. You're still going to have hard times. But you're going to have the grace of God on your side. Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times for the Lord to take it away from him. All three times God said, No, I can't. But my grace will be sufficient for thee. It'll be sufficient. So God was going to make sure that no matter what, that no matter what Paul was going to go through, no matter what he was facing in his life, God was going to make sure that the grace that he gave him was going to be sufficient for the hour. He says, yeah, he's living down there in Lodabar. And so, verse 4, verse 5, the king, then King David sent. And what did he do? He fetched him out. He fetched him out. He didn't just say, we're just going to live in there. He said, look, what I want you to do is, man, we need to go down there and we need to get him out of that. We need to get him out of that life, man. We need to go down there and we need to show him the grace of God. We need to get down there and we need to show him kindness. We need to pull him out of that. We need to go down there and fetch him out of that kind of life. We need to go down there and fetch him out of that place. And if you got saved, that's what God did for you. And if you're not saved, that's what God will do for you. Man, he'll come down there wherever you're at. The Bible says his hand is not shortened that he cannot save. doesn't matter where you're at, what you've done, how many times. No matter how far down you think you've gone, he can save you. And he can help you. If you'll let him. If you'll just let him. It says, yeah, he's down there in Lodabar. I don't know if you want to go down there, king. It's, it's pretty bad down that way. Well, you know what? Saving people is his speciality. Now, lots of people are good in all kinds of things. But I tell you what, Jesus sure is good at saving people. And He sure is good at helping people. He's living down there in Lodabar. So we're going to go down there and we're going to fetch Him out. We're going to go down there and we're going to fetch Him out. Now, verse 6. It says, Now when... Mephibosheth. Now we find out the guy's name. When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face. And so what, what happened here? Well, what they did was they went down there. They went down there and they fetched him out of that barren life. They fetched him out of that land. And I imagine as he was probably sitting there, maybe he was sitting in his home, and he was thinking, oh my goodness, what is that? And he, as he probably heard maybe the, the soldiers coming up and as he maybe heard the, the chariot wheels pulling up, I imagine he was probably sitting there thinking in his bed or wherever it was he was sitting there, oh, I knew that this day would come. I knew that this day would come sooner or later. And now it's here. He knows where I'm at. He knows where I'm living. And so here comes David and, and his men and they pull up. 
And they get out and they go knock on the door. Mephibosheth, are you in there? Looking for him. So they get him. And they take him back to the king. You know what Mephibosheth's name means? Man of shame. Man of shame. And that's what all of us were. We were people of shame. We were people of shame. His name means man of shame. And that's what all of us were, man. We were people of shame. Lame on our feet. There was nothing, nothing that we could do to come to Him. But God said, no, what I want to do is I want to go down there and we're going to fetch Him out of that stuff. Yes, He is a man of shame. Yes, He, he has done that and He is living that way. But, but look, I can show Him something different and I can take Him out of that. And I can put Him somewhere else. I can take Him out of that land and take Him out of that life. And I can show Him something different. He don't have to live that way. But I imagine as they was coming up, come to get Him. I imagine He was probably pretty scared. He just knew that He was going to die. He just knew that He was going to die. Just knew that He was going to die. Then in verse, verse 6, He says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face. And so here we are in the king's court and they bring him in before David. They bring him in and he just falls down on his face. Falls down on his face before David and he did reverence. And so King David is sitting here on his throne and they, they bring Mephibosheth in. They bring this man of shame in. And man, he just falls down before the king. And I imagine he is probably crying. I imagine all kinds of things are going on in this man's heart. He thinks he's going to die. And they brought him before the king. He says, this is it. This is it. You know, one of these days, all of us are going to be in that same position. Not just Mephibosheth. But one of these days, all of us is going to have our day before the king. One of these days. And is it going to be at the judgment seat of Christ for you or is it going to be at the great white throne judgment? And the choice is yours. The choice is yours. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be at the judgment seat of Christ where I'm not judged for my sin, but I'm judged for my service. And even though that may be a scary time as well, but I'd a whole lot rather be in judge be. I'd whole lot rather be being judged for my service than I would be judging for my sin. Because at that time at the great white throne, when you stand before God, and the Bible says in the book of Revelation that He stands there in the heavens and the earth, they just flee from Him. They flee from His face. And He stands there, and He's looking down at you. You know, whenever a person dies and they go to hell today, the only sense of relief that they can ever hope to have is for the moment, for the moment, however long it takes, to jerk them out of hell and let them stand before God to be judged and then cast into the lake of fire. That's the only, that's the only hope they got of not burning. It's just for that one moment of time, however long that takes, to get judged. Wow, that's all they got. 
But one of these days, all of us is going to stand before Almighty God. And so here he found himself before King David. The Bible says that he was there and he was just really prostrating himself before the Lord. He was just, I mean, before the king, he was just weeping and, 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 and crying. Probably begging for his life. And we see here that he says in verse 6, And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And so he says, look, I know I've been a man of shame, but I'll serve you. I'll be your servant. I'll be your servant. I, I didn't have no way of getting here, and, and I know I've been living this kind of life, and behold, your servant is here. Your servant is here. And then he goes on and he says, in verse 7, And David said unto him, Fear not. That's one of them fear nots I told you about. There's 366 of them. There's one. Fear not. Because you see, for the Christian to stand before God. When the Christian goes to stand before God at the great at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to have to fear the wrath of God. He won't have to fear the wrath of God. Because God's done poured out his wrath on his son. And so he won't have to fear the wrath of God. And so he's brought before David and David says, look, fear not. What David wanted this man to understand is, look, I know what kind of life you've been living. I know where you've been living at. I know where you've been living at. I know you don't deserve nothing that I have to give you. But because me and your, but because, because me and your daddy were such good friends, because me and your daddy just loved each other, I'm going to show you some unmerited favor that you don't deserve. And I'm not here to destroy you. And so I believe God speaks to our hearts this morning. He says, look, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And I know you don't deserve nothing that I have to give you. But we're not going to worry about none of that. All we're going to focus on is grace. And now you're here and you're before me. And what we're going to focus on right now is not none of those things. We're not going to focus on you seeing. We're not going to, what we're going to focus on right now is we're just going to focus on you sitting before me. We're going to focus on my grace towards you. I'm not going to worry about all this, but I want you to know and I want you to understand that I'm not here to condemn you. Whenever they brought the woman who was called in the act of adultery, and they brought her out there to the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus say to her? He said, I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. You see the love and compassion that He had? Yeah, Jesus knew what she did was wrong. He knew that she shouldn't have been doing that. But you know what? He didn't come out there with a bat and throw stones at her and beat her over the head and all that. No, He showed her love. He showed her compassion. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. Just go and sin no more. He did tell her that He wanted her to change her life. He did tell her that He wanted things to be different. And I believe it's the same way for us. I believe sometimes we get this thought that God's standing up there with this big old sledgehammer and every time we do something bad, He just wants to knock us around one good time. You don't repent. <laughs> you don't repent. 
and you let the chastising hand of God come on your life, then that, then something like that may happen. But the Bible tells us that if every man would judge his own self, judge your own self, judge your own self. If you'll come before God and you'll say, God, I know what I did was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have been doing that and this and that and that and that and you just repent of it. And maybe God will stay His hand off of that a little bit. But He wanted he wanted Jonathan to know, look, I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here for none of that. Man, what I want to do is I just want to show you some grace. That's what I want to do. I just want you to know that I love you. I want you to, I want you to know that I love you because I loved your father. I loved your father. And so here he is standing before the king. Standing before the king weeping and crying. Verse 7, David said to him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And will what? Restore thee. He said, I'll restore you. I'll restore you. What does that mean? To be restored. Think about that. What does it mean to be restored? He said, look, I'm going to pull you out of that kind of life and what we're going to do is, look, I'm not going to, I'm not doing, I'm not going to beat you over the head do this now. I'm not going to, but what I want to do is I want to show you the kindness of, I want to show you the, the, the kindness of God. I want to show you the, the grace of God for Jonathan's sake. And I'm going to restore thee. When you restore something, what do you do? You still think about restoring an old car. You got an old car, man, it's all beat up. It looks all bad. You, you can't do nothing with it. You can't drive it, man. It, it looks terrible. But you know what? You can go in and restore that thing. Make that thing start looking real nice. And you can get it back on the road where it's supposed to be and park back in the garage where it needs to be. And people can get in it and have fun. He said, I'm going to restore it back to where it's supposed to be. And so if you've gotten away from God, understand this. God's not looking to beat you over the head this morning. What He's looking to do is to restore you, bring you out of that kind of life, bring you out of that kind of life and give you what you're supposed to have. Give you what you're supposed to have. Man, give you the blessings that you're supposed to have. Man, give you what, you're, what, you're, what He has given you. I mean, He's given you eternal life, but yet, he wants to, man, He wants to give you a better life in Christ. And so He says, look, I'm going to pull you out of that life. I'm going to pull you out of that land. I'm going to pull you out of all that. And we're going to restore thee. We're going to restore you. All the land of Saul, and we'll restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. Now shall eat bread. Must have been a Baptist. Now shall eat bread at my table. How long? Continually. What in the world has happened to this guy? What has happened to this guy? Just a, just a few moments ago, he was living in the land of Lodabar in the land of barrenness with no way of coming to with no way of coming to David with no way of well didn't even want to come to David he was scared to he didn't want to get killed I think a lot of reasons why people don't come to the house of God because they're scared they're scared of something maybe they're scared of God speaking to the hearts I don't know So he gets there. 
and his life changes. He gets before the king and the king does something to him and his life changes. And he said, look, I'm going to pull you out of that that's where you've been and now I'm going to restore you, give you back everything. And not only that, but you're going to eat bread at my table. My table. The king's table. You're going to eat at the king's table. Man, just a few hours ago, he was probably scrabbling for some any scraps he could get off the floor. And now here he finds himself eating at the king's table. What a position. What a, that's a position of honor. Not everybody got to sit at the king's table. Not everybody got to eat bread at the king's table. But here he goes. He's pulling out of that land and now here he is sitting at the king's table. And he says, you will sit at my table continually. Continually you'll sit at my table. You know what that shows me? That shows me eternal security. There will never be another time when you will not sit at my table. There will never be another time. Because you're going to be in my house and you're going to be at my table and this is where you are going to stay. This is where you're going to be forever. For the rest of your life. You're going to be at my table. You're going to be at my table. Man, what an awesome thing. And he bowed himself, verse 8, and he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? That thou shouldest look upon him. That thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. Wow, he's repenting. Who am I that you should shed this kind of grace on me? Who am I that you should do all this for me? Let me ask you, who are you that God would even that God didn't take your life this morning. That's God's grace. God's grace keeps your heart beating at this very second. Keeps your lungs expanding this very moment. It's His grace. None of us deserve the next breath. But it's only by God's grace that we sit here this morning and God allows us to have the opportunity to get things right, to make things right, and to have a better life. And God says, look, I know where you're living. I know where you've been. But man, if it... and He knocks on the door of your heart and He goes to fetch you out of that land. And he says, look, I'm, try... I'm calling you. I'm trying to get you to come. Will you acknowledge me? Will you listen? Because I want something better for you. And man, I can pull you out of that kind of life and I can give you a better life. And you can have bread with me continually forever. At my table. At my table. At my table. I don't know where you're at this morning and I don't know who's saved and I don't know who's lost. But I can tell you this. The Lord loves you. God loves you. And no matter what no matter what it is that you've done, no matter how bad the devil puts all the kind of guilt. You know, the devil's good at that. You know, you do something, you feel bad about it, you know you shouldn't have, you repent. You ask God to forgive you. you. Ask Him to put it under the blood and wash that sin away. But the devil's always good about coming by and saying, Oh, you remember what you did. 
God can't use you no more. You ain't under the grace of God no more. Not but not. No. And if everybody if everybody finds out about it, oh, you've really had it now. Oh, well, now you can never show your face back up at church. Now you can, now you, man, you better, you better just stay away from there. Well, how can you do that? And how can you do that and still carry your Bible? How can, you just done that yesterday. How can you read the Bible today? You just done that a little while ago. How can you kneel down in prayer? Remember what I said? If the devil's got enough demons at his disposal to irritate some lonely old man living up there in a cave, if he's got enough demons at his disposal, six to seven thousand to bother this one man in this cave, how many do you think try to stop and hinder you on a given day? Just think about that. God says, look, you can't do it on your own. You need me. You need my help. Get out of that land you live in and come back to me. Amen. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know, I don't know who's saved and who's not. But God loves you. He loves you. Stand if you would. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'd like to give you an opportunity.